we talk a lot about toxic masculinity in our culture right now. Sometimes it's like subtext that if only the world were run by women, like everything would be fine. But I think it's interesting to think, oh no, like we must know that Eve in her fallenness has her own destructive yeah. patterns, just like toxic masculinity has its. And so we need both genders to be healed and whole. What do you experience in your body when you consider the phrase feminine? Do you find yourself scared? Do you find yourself wanting to move away or move towards or move against? Do you find yourself wanting to self-protect? The phrase feminine, do you find it irresistible or precarious? Do you find it nourishing or perhaps complex? Do you find a satisfaction or you met with confusion? Do you find yourself brimming with hope and possibility? How does masculinity in its most mature form integrate with femininity in its most mature form? So friends, by way of transition, I want to lean into a few passages from Corinthians when Paul's writing this letter to a young church, because I think here's where we've sort of hit pause on some of the conversation on secure attachment is we've talked about what a child needs, what an infant needs, what an adolescent needs. And in many ways, we've talked about and ministered to the child inside the adult, yes, right? And right. we've done a lot of that work of bringing the young, fractured parts of our own soul that lacked secure attachment and inviting God to do that healing work through Christ's life. Uh, but Paul doesn't stop there. And his, he's literally communicating frustration with this community. And what I just love it, the humanity of that, right? It's just like he's a dude. He's a guy. And he is a shepherd. And he's saying, friends, here's the challenge. You're acting like infants. Um, and you're not capable of much more than nursing at a breast. He said, well, I'll nurse you if you don't seem capable of anything more. But as long as you grab what makes you feel good or makes you look important, you're not much different than a babe at a breast. And just really interesting where he's calling out immaturity. He's saying like, well, you just need milk. And, and I just love this is when you, even when you're insecurely attached, things that soothe can be irresistible. The desperate need for comfort for nourishment. If you haven't satiated that part of your heart, you've received Christ and now I want you to grow in Christ. Paul's inviting this church to move into deeper things, to go from milk to solid foods. Yes. He says, you've received Christ and now live in Christ, now yes. grow in Christ. Yes. And what I'm learning literally in my own formation, in my apprenticeship as a man, in very specific ways, as God heals and repairs that secure attachment, yes my relationship with femininity continues to grow. And it continues to become more essential for me to receive God in all of God's feminine dimensions. Yes. And it's, 
it's this idea that I've been recovering through this most recent season that I wanted to bring some daylight to uh, for our apprentices out there to say, what about you? Are you noticing mm -hmm. this? And yes. how do you tap into this? And what are the pitfalls? And what are the possibilities? Yeah, buddy, you know, I think there's that, um, if we look at different, you know, characters of women in um, different stories that we love, there is um, oftentimes um, that voice, and, and you, you refer to Lady Wisdom, but where a, a the, the female character is unwilling to cooperate with um, a man's either his um, self-harm or his arm of others. Mm. And she introduces a challenge to him, an invitation to him, whether it's, um, you know, to look um, and really take a hard look in the mirror, if you will, um, and to do some self-reflecting. And that that, that, that non-cooperation with either a man's self-harm or harm of others um, is an, an interruption of him is, is a really interesting way that a woman, so, you know, kind of that transition from a man who, a, a boy who needs sort of that unconditional affirmation, yes. unconditional light to a man who's securely attached, who can receive the challenge and sometimes the um, tolerate the discomfort yes. of, Lady Wisdom coming and saying, I know you're better than that. Mm. We're better than that. Mm. You're better than that. And I'm going to invite you to, um, I'm going to invite you to the more. I'm going to invite you to upgrade. And that, um, you know, again, that's maybe the boy doesn't want to be challenged. Yes. But the secure man who believes in, in quote unquote, Lady Wisdom as, yes. as she's often, um, you know, pictured in in universally in in our um, you know in legends and in myths around the world is when a man has ears to hear her, um, it changes the tra trajectory of his life. And mm. so, but it's it's interesting if a man is only wanting to be soothed by the feminine and not also willing to be challenged mm. by her, um, then his growth will be delayed he'll have arrested development mm. and you know there's there's a obviously a mirrored image of that for a woman if she has only wants x from a man and isn't also willing to receive y yes. as she matures and so it's it's it goes both directions but i just think that's really interesting is that um i i noticed that when it gets stuck when a man only wants to be soothed and not also to be challenged mm. yeah i really think that's a beautiful on-ramp to like the mature, the mature relating yes. of masculinity and femininity, yes. right? And that's where like even beyond a marriage of yes. just how, what does that look like in a community mm -hmm. with, with, as people become more integrated to, for a man to open himself up mm -hmm. to that challenge, to that um, interrogation that's out of love. Calling out a deeper strength, calling yes. out a better, a better version, exactly. Right? And we know we can. We know that it's when feminine femininity falls and goes into that criticism or that, um, like, literally, I'm going to annihilate you yes. with my criticism. I mean, 
a, um, femininity can fall so far in yep. that. So I understand why the masculine has to walk in self-protection because that is so lethal and right. so awful. Right. But the re- in, and so I understand maybe it's a rare experience of the redeemed version of right. that same feminine figure, like in Proverbs eight, where she is so full. She is. She wants to hold feasts at her house. She's full of light in her eyes, affection for you, unconditional love. And because she believes in you and because she sees you and because she's committed to you with with a lightness and a strength, she's able to invite um, a man to that upgraded expression of his strength. But I, I mean... You know, there's, um, we talk a lot about toxic masculinity in our culture right now, but I, you know, and there's some, sometimes it's like subtext that if only the world were run by women, like everything would be fine. But I think it's interesting to think, oh no, like we must know that Eve, Eve in her fallenness has her own destructive patterns, just like toxic masculinity has its. And so, um, you know, we we need both genders to be healed and whole if the world is going to um you know be be um creation's going to be brought forth and so it isn't the answer isn't just if only women you know rule the world and and i don't know if you if you hear it but i sort of hear that subtext i've heard it since i was little that oh if only women ruled the world we wouldn't have any problems and oh right i think it's easy to think that because of the ways that um that redeemed femininity, what it's meant to bring, is desperately needed on the earth. But it's not. Um, if if femininity isn't redeemed, it it couldn't save the world either. Yeah, yeah it's really brave of you, actually, as a woman, to mm-hmm. name that because it exists and mm-hmm. it's the experience of most men. Mm-hmm. And I'll even use the phrase. I know you didn't use this phrase, but I think just to be courageous to say toxic femininity mm-hmm. causes men to um, act. Toxic femininity can cause an uninitiated man or uninitiated parts in a man to recoil mm-hmm. in various ways. And the answer isn't give up on femininity, the same way the answer isn't give up on masculinity for a woman. Mm -hmm. You know, it was interesting. I was having a a conversation yesterday with um, uh, some friends that were talking about this uh, lesbian couple that were in this Bible study and they were just describing, they both had been so hurt and harmed by men, sexually, emotionally abused that what they found was the answer was simply safety with each other. Yes. And I get it. Yes. I get it. And so what we're wrestling with is, okay, well, what is the redeemed version? Yes. And it's interesting. You talked about Proverbs. I, I would like to go back to Proverbs yes. because it gives us a bit of a map of the, the problem and the possibility. Yes. And so, like, friends, when I go back to Proverbs with this I, this question of mature femininity and mature masculinity as a man, it's amazing the things that start standing out, particularly Proverbs 1 through 8. And I just want to highlight a few things. In Proverbs, there's this sort of manual for living is the language of the text for um, Proverbs 1 in the message translation from Eugene that 
it's it begins for the young and also for the deeply mature of this is what it might look like. And I love Proverbs 1, 7. It says, start with God. Start with God. The first step is learning to bow down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. Like friends, what if every man in your life you knew was consenting to God? What if you knew that boss at work, that principal at your school, that man in your house, that son driving his car at 16 was doing what was in his power to start with God, how that would change the world. It says, pay close attention, friends, to what your father tells you and never forget what you learned at your mother's knee. And I mean, right out of the gates, it's saying there's some absolutely essential quality of life that was intended to flow through mother and father. And it starts with God. I just love, it's like, it's 101. And then right away on the heels of that, Proverbs says, Lady Wisdom goes out to the street and shouts at the town center. She makes her speech. In the middle of traffic, she takes her stand. In the busiest corner, she calls out. And I just love all that we've learned from the Bible Project and hyperbole and storytelling. This, there is a very core idea they're trying to say is in a very loud world, in the busiest place possible, she's not shy in offering wisdom. Yes. She is robustly available, yes. but the issue is God doesn't answer questions he's not being asked. Mm -hmm. In other words, is the issue isn't often God's speaking as much as it is our listening, mm -hmm. our capacity, mm -hmm. and our desire, mm -hmm. our willingness. But here she is. She's not shy in offering wisdom. But then Proverbs 2, um, you know, it says, <clears throat> take heart from lady wisdom, take heart, hold her counsel, guard her counsel with your very life. Search for it. I love these, these metaphors, like a prospector panning for gold, like an adventurer on a treasure hunt. Believe me, before you know it, the fear of God, as to say the awe of God, yes. the essential need for God will come upon you. And so it comes right, right out of the gate saying she is available and that one is blessed. And 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 then I, you know, I'm not gonna go into all of it, but essentially in Proverbs 3, it's trust God with all your heart, forsake the independent life. Yes. And um and then we get this beautiful introduction to Lady Wisdom and says, you're blessed. Literally, the will of God is enacting in your life when you meet Lady Wisdom. Make friends with her. She's How much money you would love to have in the bank, she's worth more than that. The best friendship, better friendship than a big salary. Her value exceeds the trappings of wealth. In other words, there's nothing, nothing in this world Yes. That provides more value than her. She is beautiful. Her life, as you said, Cher, is wonderfully complete. She's the tree of life to those who embrace her. And so, you know, you just have this image where it's, it's robustly available. It's absolutely essential. There's nothing more available to it. And then Proverbs 4 goes on, above all else, guard your heart. So you have this heart that's meant to be the vessel for lady wisdom. 
And so that all sets the stage. And then in the next Proverbs 5, 6, 7, and 8, there is the juxtaposition of these two different manifestations of femininity. And Sherry, I really appreciate you naming this because I don't know we were t- going to talk about this like very specifically, but we could call it um, toxic femininity compared to redeemed femininity. Yes. And in Proverbs, it 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 embodies her as the seductress, right? It it the sort of char- the the archetype or the the caricature is a seductress. It's a seductive woman that doesn't have a clue. It says in Proverbs five, doesn't have a clue about real life. Like it's fascinating, Sherry. You were saying like she is the one who invites you to life, yes. but something is broken. Something is unrepaired in her that actually doesn't know where life is found. She doesn't know who she is or where she's going, the proverb says. It says, keep a distance from her. Like vigilantly keep your distance. And it goes on to say, um, you know, the the word Peterson uses in Proverbs 6 is a wanton woman. In other words, a sexually unrestrained woman, or it's interesting, a violent or deliberate woman. There, there's a strength that's um, that's not harnessed, mm-hmm. that's not underrained, mm-hmm. that actually harnesses death instead of life. Yes. And I don't know that she's fully aware of it, but something in her has a need, a desperate need that manifests as predatorial in some way. Essentially, in Proverbs six, Proverbs seven juxtaposes Proverbs 8, where it describes a woman that is predatorial in taking advantage of a man who's not matured, and Mm -hmm. he's led to death, that it looks like life, but she's a seductress, right? And little does he know it will take her life. And then Proverbs 8 just flips it on its head saying, friends, it's Lady Wisdom calling out that she is the craftsman at the hand of God, that literally God's first work was expressed in femininity. And this feminine presence, this generative life-giving presence was at God's right hand to create the nature of reality. That It's just mind-blowing to think about that. And if that's design, then the question is, how could we live without it? Mm-hmm. How is that not essential for the robust flourishing of masculinity and femininity? But in the toxic forms, it's very precarious for a man to take the journey into wholehearted masculinity, for a woman to take the journey of repentance and repair and restoration to wholehearted femininity, and for those two um, expressions of God to be able to interact with integrity, with respect, with care, um, so that instead of bringing death, bring life not only to themselves— but to others. Yes. A couple of weeks ago, we had an interesting conversation about, um, you know, this imagery in Proverbs. And I still am challenged when I read through Proverbs and see the quote unquote seductress. Something in me just gets so furious because of that history of sort of, you know, I mean, even our daughter Abigail was reading for American literature the summer, The Scarlet Letter, which was Nathaniel Hawthorne written hundreds of years ago. It's way deep in the American psyche. And it's basically this woman, quote unquote, the adulteress, who is being shamed and blamed, um, you know, for quote unquote, 
causing a man to stumble. And this idea that women, you know, this misogyny, this hatred toward women, that women have been blamed, quote unquote, for um, it's a woman's fault if a man is, um, you know, has any sexual challenge, that the woman historically in many societies is the one who's stoned, who's murdered, who's outcast. And so it's so challenging for me to set that aside. It's valid. It's real. We need to talk about where these texts interact with our emotional and intellectual collateral damage of living in the world that we live in, but not miss what is being said. Like, what is the author of this text trying to tell me and draw my attention to and warn me about and illuminate. And so it's been, you know, a um, multi-decade process for me to try to really tune in. And I watched my heart get kind of offended by the language in that part of Proverbs. And then I watched myself go, okay, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Papa, show me what are we talking about here? And you know, don't let me throw the baby, proverbial baby, out with the bathwater mm-hmm. of the misogyny that's been attached to women and their sexuality in our Christian tradition and in globally. So anyways, all that to say is I think that um, it's interesting when you think about this idea of um, where evil, if evil is the destroyer, the adversary, the one who's trying to pull creation God's good world into decreation, into chaos, into something that is inhospitable um, and um, against God, then you can imagine that um, this one who is basically wanting to lie to humanity about where life is found, what is the nature of reality, what will bring life, what will bring death— and, and really trying to make that confusing. Yes. The Proverbs is using artistically this feminine picture for that, but um, we can just look anywhere in the world and we don't have to isolate it to femininity. It's not just femininity that lies to us. Right. It's complicated. You and I have talked about it. These are complicated texts even for me to come into. So I want to own the reality of toxic femininity, own toxic masculinity, but I really I just want to get back to the heart of what you're what you've been uncovering, Morgan, in terms of what it looks like for you as a man to receive at different stages of your masculine development and maturity. What does it look like for you to receive feminine love? Um, and what is that looking like for you? You can't get to lesson number three before going through lesson number two and just the idea of like personal responsibility mm-hmm. instead of toxic masculinity, femininity pointing. Yes. We're talking about personal rep. Yes. How do you be part of recreation? It's beautiful. Shares, we're in Proverbs. If you want to go to another complex text to just sort of bookend this is Proverbs 31, the last proverb. And relating with women, talking to women over three decades now of Christianity, this is a difficult passage because you often, I often see it set as the gold standard very specifically for what a woman is supposed to be and do and no woman feels like she measures up or necessarily totally aligns with the text. And so again, in the idea of a a mythic reality and a curiosity of 
what might God be saying? What is the essence if we're talking about God expressing himself, this image, image bearing as feminine, as masculine, and that it's the integration of these two expressions of God that bring human flourishing. When I read Proverbs as this allegory of femininity, there's all sorts of ways to read it. But I believe there's so much where he's saying, this is available when you see human flourishing being expressed through femininity. Not as one particular person, but a way. And, And the reason why that helps me is as a man, when I relate to this text and think of a woman playing that role in my life, it calls me to courage, it allows me to rest, it nourishes me, and it makes me want to live beyond myself and be resourced on behalf of others. It's so beautiful. So I notice its effect, right? So things like, it says, it's hard to find, right? The narrow road, you guys, like, it's, we happy few, but it says, a husband can trust her without reserve. So just think of this, not in terms of husband, wife, but femininity, masculinity, right? Yes. You just sort of insert those words that masculinity can trust femininity without reserve and never have a reason to regret it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're so, what if that was I possible? I love you so much. Think about that. What if that was the a, a man's belief yes. from his experience of sister, of mother, of grandmother, yes. right? Of person at Starbucks that I can trust her and have no regrets without reserve. And and what I love, and we won't go into all of it, but it'd be a beautiful study to do together. But the dignity of this, of femininity, that femininity senses the worth of her work. Yes, She's not in a hurry to quit because she is fully engaged in what she's doing. She has skills around a home. She's making home. You know, one of our mentors said the most important thing in parenting above all else is to make home a place of peace. That we go to war and we're in chaos and we come home to peace. You know, she's quick. Femininity is quick to help those in need. And she's not caught in worry. She's deeply resourceful. And she offers blessing and respect that um, she, she loves God. Right at the beginning of Proverbs 1, it's a bookend. She starts with God. Mm-hmm. Right? And she is a picture of the tree of life yeah. and what, what its effect is on masculinity. Um, so what I want, what I'm wanting to name that's just, it's almost the indescribable. Like I love Lewis says, like we're just touching on these almost indescribable desires and yet we all know them to be true. I still haven't found mm-hmm. what I'm looking for. Yes. Masculinity is made for femininity. Femininity is made for masculinity. And it starts in infancy, in very pragmatic and sensory means. It doesn't end with milk and oxytocin. 
it continues to be generative and mature where a man, in, as he matures and increases in power, I want to say this, this is risky, but is absolutely dependent on femininity. He is absolutely at the mercy of restored femininity in the form of lady wisdom, in the form of understanding the balance of life, in the form of being a generative presence in order that he can wield power, mm -hmm. strength in the service of love. And it's easier to not act that way. Mm -hmm. It's easier to disengage from the messiness of femininity and the messages of toxic femininity. And that is to say a, a uninitiated woman, a broken woman, a woman that hasn't done the work of becoming integrated, it's easier for him to back off mm -hmm. or abuse mm -hmm. or misuse and blame. As mm -hmm. you said, Sherry, instead of taking personal responsibility and saying, I'm not gonna stop until I become wholehearted and I learn to love in a wholehearted way and receive love from femininity in a way that together we bring something through this union of femininity and masculinity to a world that it would not ever have without this, this, this generative risk. What do you think? Mm. Buddy, it's so inspiring. You know, I'm thinking about for myself, um, just I can see my own growth and how I read Proverbs 31. And, you know, 20 years ago, my unvalidated soul still um, just riven with shame. Um, when I would read Proverbs 31, I would just feel so diminished. And now, you know, kind of like what you're saying, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like that is, you know, sounds exhausting, like um, unattainable, sort of um, any woman who would strive for that is going to end up being self-righteous and sort of um, like just not someone I want to hang out with. And now, because I think, praise God, you know, it's, he's there's so much more ground to be taken, but he's taken so much ground in my heart. I just read Proverbs 31 and I'm just like thrilled. I'm thrilled. I want to, I want to be like her, mm. like you said, the archetype of who she is. And also knowing like she's a picture of God, like just that that well-being, that sparkle in her eye, she can laugh at the days to come. Yes. Like everything is going to be well and all manner of things she'll be well. Like I notice I'm strengthened by her feminine, mm. by the femininity of the woman in Proverbs 31. And so I just praise God for, um, you know, um, beginning to restore my um, bent and riven soul so that I could be able to even hear that text more more, more rightly, yes. um, and God willing, continually more rightly. But I just think it's so exciting to hear you say about, you know, what does it look like for um, masculinity and femininity to um, receive from each other while also taking personal responsibility? So interrupting patterns of blame, taking personal responsibility, and then also in that... Um, to borrow your word, generative or in that momentum of 
um, restoration, just the, both picking up momentum as they participate with God in being restored and participating in the restoration of each other. Sherry, I, I really appreciate your thoughts. You are helping me to recover these big ideas that are rooted in the core needs of the human soul. And we are chasing after this core question in this three-part series of what does it look like for mature femininity to be integrated with mature masculinity? And what if that integration is actually essential for human flourishing. You men listening, I want to present you with a bold challenge. And it's this risky invitation to not give up on femininity. And what I want to say here actually is you can't afford to give up on femininity. And yet the pain or the confusion or the ache is also valid. To close this part two of the series, what I want to do is invite you to think about the parts of your story, the ages you were in different parts of your story or perhaps landscapes or geography that sort of define seasons of your initiation as a man. And for our 90-second meditation, I want you to consider this. What parts of your story and in what ages and in what seasons of your life would you say you may have given up on femininity? Something or someone caused you to relinquish the possibility of flourishing in the context of feminine love simply from the pain, from the harm, or from confusion and the lack, you may have turned your back in very particular ways on femininity. As we go into this extended pause, I want to invite you to consider what Jesus would like to say to those parts of you in those seasons of your life, in those younger places where part of you may have lost heart. And for you women, a couple of questions as well. Where have you felt given up on in terms of the feminine love that you want to offer? And where do you notice that you feel tempted or inclined to give up on masculine love? If you could have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, what would he have to say? How would he be with you in that place. Let's take an extended pause for 90 seconds and invite Jesus to just be with us in this place.
Friends, we'll see you back next time for our final episode in this three-part series exploring this mystery of feminine love. Thanks for joining us on the Become Good Soil podcast.